a long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. Star Wars Lost Tribe of the Sith Number 8 Secrets By John Jackson Miller Read by Decade Bird Publishing Chapter 1 3000 BBY Like all Sith on Kesh during the time of the rot, the Hilts family had ambition. It was just never very big on execution. Varner Hiltz's father spent years earning the confidence of the leader of the local faction in Barry. He took great care in selecting the shikar blade intended for his liege's back. But the elder Hiltz used somewhat less care in fastening the dagger's sheath, and the glass blade fell from his belt and buried itself in his ankle. He was dead in a gangrenous month, a mercifully short time to have to endure the nickname. Slippery Hiltz. Unfazed, the widow Hiltz soldiered on targeting the faction leader for seduction the very next week. Minions carefully delivered her to the leader's private bedchambers in a massive ceremonial urn. Unfortunately, the lid was stubborn, and no one had told her the leader was spending the month campaigning in the high country. However, she did achieve her surprise, if the horror of the cleaning servants counted. Varner Hiltz had lived longer than either of them, rising quietly, if inoffensively to a position of responsibility within the tribe. He'd worked every day in the greatest palace on the mainland, and had viewed Yara Corson's testament not once, but twice. He'd ventured closer than anyone had in years to the temple that held Omen, the ship that had brought Corson and the lost tribe to Kesh. And now he was about to be killed by a plant. Shay! Shay! Hiltz called, struggling upside down within a thorny web of vines. Every motion caused the bonds to tighten around the old man's limbs. He spotted his assistant looking down at him from atop the green tress stonework. Jay, cut me down! Black eyes blinked. With what, caretaker? With anything! Oh! The purple-faced Kashiri vanished for a moment before reappearing with his satchel. The lightsaber you found! Whoa, no! Hiltz flared the fingers of his free hand in panic. Predictably, Jay was holding the weapon by the wrong end. You'll kill yourself turning it on. Jay knelt closer to where Hiltz was dangling. Should I pass it down to you then? No. Look, go find a sharp rock, Hiltz said, settling as best he could in his naughty prison. I'll just hang around here. Hiltz listened to the Kashiri skitter off and cursed himself for his wild scheme. No one had dared approach the mountain temple in centuries and now a sixty-year-old archivist and his cowardly clerk would do it. During a week, no less, when every settlement on the continent of Keshta roiled with riotous convulsions. Hiltz shook his head, ignoring the scratches from the vine wrapped beneath his chin. He'd been mad to make the journey, and the journey had been maddening. Hiltz had returned first to his museum in the capital city of Tav, where he'd long preserved the ancient maps of Omen's temple. But pillagers had struck the palace, burning every scrap of parchment in the archives. Everything breakable had been broken. The sight of the smashed sandpipes had driven Jay to tears. Hiltz had been prepared for that. The self-destructive rampage had been going nonstop since the tribe's discovery that their ancestors hadn't been conquerors, but slaves to aliens. Nonetheless, the sight of so many human corpses lying in the streets had unnerved him. No Sith saw any single life as precious, 
but their species as a whole certainly was. The survivors of Omen had been so few in number in the beginning. How many generations' increase had been lost? Could they ever recover? The Forbidden Temple might hold the solution, but Hilts had to get there first, avoiding the roving bands of Sith thugs on killing sprees. It was why he'd brought Jay along. Kashiri families that once worshipped humans now feared them. None would have granted him shelter. But any Sith who would travel with Meek Jay Vuld was probably not someone on a murderous rampage. They'd taken refuge in Kashiri shacks in daylight hours, making their way west at night. The journey was long, but necessary. The temple sat atop the Takara Mountains at the northern tip of a long peninsula running parallel to the mainland. It would have been a short hop over the inlet for an Yavak, but nothing could get hilts onto the back of one of the flying beasts. They'd taken the long way along the southern coast before turning up the hostile spit of land. There was no shelter here, nor sustenance, just as well, as Hiltz had tasted only his own stomach acid since the riots began. Finally, they'd arrived at the base of the blocks, massive granite barriers lodged in a narrow pass by Nita Corson to prevent anyone from accessing the forbidden heights on foot. With each cube ten meters tall, they gave the impression of a staircase for the gods. A formidable obstacle, indeed. But sometime in the intervening centuries, a hardy foliage had taken root in the stone's crevices, strong vines, providing a way up. Or a way to hang upside down until you hemorrhage and die, Hiltz thought. He looked up. Where was that blasted Kashiri? A light flashed in the sky. Weary eyes focused. A reflection? But from what? Here, caretaker! No sooner did Hiltz hear the squeaky voice than he felt a violent tug, and then he was being dragged up the side of the blocks by his legs. Shay! What are you doing? The Kashiri groaned, pulling on a clutch of vines wrapped around his spindly fingers. Hiltz righted himself and clambered atop the barrier, where he spent a full minute gasping for breath. Rolling over, he saw Jay had found a series of post holes in the stone's surface. The base for some scaffold centuries earlier, each hole was large enough to accommodate a Kashiri foot, allowing the frail clerk some mechanical advantage as he hauled his master up the side. This is the last barrier, Jay said, wiping blood from his palms and looking behind them. A modest scramble down led to an open trail up the gorge and to the temple mountain, farther above. But Hiltz's attention was higher still. Look there! In the eastern sky, and Yuvak beat its wings as it arced downward toward the temple. Hilt squinted. There was a rider aboard. Another flash of light, a reflection, like before. On Metal Purkesh, that usually meant one thing, the handle of a lightsaber. Hiltz frowned and looked toward the temple. We'd better get going. Standing, he pulled the remaining shreds of vine from his portly frame. With renewed purpose, he took a step forward, directly into a post hole. Caretaker! The granite felt cool on Hiltz's face. I've decided, Jay, that first, we're going to rest here, for a while. The Kashiri didn't argue. You must finish the job of removing the tribe from this mountain. Our destiny, for now, lies in ruling the part of Kesh that lives. So Yara Corson had instructed his daughter in the testament, and his decree had been followed. Followed and respected by a people that respected nothing. Hiltz marveled as he stepped from the rocky path onto the windswept stone of the site. 
Sith would look for any edge they could find in their squabbles, yet none had ever returned here, to his knowledge. It could have been superstition, but Hiltz thought it more likely that they understood the futility of returning. What advantage could be found here that Corson and the other passengers of Omen wouldn't already have taken? And yet, that was his quest. Thousands of meters below, all across the continent to the east, his civilization was in the process of expunging itself. Twenty warring factions had already destroyed the Sith state. But the revelation of their common, and lowly, origin had left every human soul detached and despondent. A thousand-year sclerosis could be survived, but not another week of self-mutilation. What can I find here that no one else has? Hiltz wondered anew as he looked to the twin spires flanking the royal residence far ahead. Vanity had led him to this, surely. But maybe it wasn't such a crazy dream. Anyone else would have looked here for a weapon, some ancient technology from the stars. Hiltz was looking for a message. Something Corson had hinted at in his dying words, something that could lead the tribe back onto a singular path. The true power is behind the throne, Corson had said. Should disaster befall, remember that. Jay stepped fearfully onto the southern terrace of the holy place. Shabby stone buildings lined the sides, worn down by wind, sun, and neglect. It's bigger than I imagined, caretaker. That's fine, Hilt said, ignoring his sore ankle as he strode confidently ahead. I know where we are. And he did. He didn't have the maps now, but they'd been with him for years. He'd committed to memory this lower terrace, where the service personnel had lived. North past the Yuvac stables were the steps to the middle terrace, with its training academy, dormitories, storehouses, and wardroom. Up more stairs would be the outdoor colonnade where Yara Corson had held his public court. Then, finally, the quadrangle of the main plaza, formed by the royal residence to the west, the watchtower and guardhouse to the east, and the temple dome to the north. Part of the upper plaza actually sat atop Omen's honored place of rest. The structure had been built around and atop the damaged ship to protect it. Just thinking about Omen brought more spring to Hiltz's step. He didn't even blanch when he saw the multitude of stairs to the middle terrace. Anyone looking at the edifice from afar would assume it had been built by a culture that loved climbing. Indeed it had been. Come on, my boy, Hiltz said. Keep up the pace. The body was freshly killed. One quick and artful slash to the throat had been the end of the Yavak. Hilt studied the smelly beast baking in the noon sun. It surely was the creature he'd seen approaching, slain here, right in the middle of the terrace. I guess the stables didn't suit our visitor, Hilt said. Jay cowered behind him. Do, do you want the weapon? Hiltz looked around, feeling through the force. Something was here. Yes he said. Give it to me. Jay fumbled through the knapsack and produced the lightsaber. Hiltz hadn't owned one as caretaker. What was the point? But on their way out of Tav, he'd pilfered one from the corpse of a massive warrior. He never knew what he might need. Do you know how to use it? Jay asked. Sure. Just get them to stand right in front of me, and I'll turn it on. Levity didn't lift the unease. Hiltz wasn't practiced in the use of the force for defense, either. He'd had the same training as a boy that other tribe members had. But apart from deflecting chunks of falling aqueduct, 
he'd had little use for the Force's physical manifestations in recent decades. Still, he knew a bad feeling when he felt it, and this wasn't more acid in his throat. In fact, he recognized this particular sting. The wardroom, Hilt said, sensing the source of the twinge up ahead. Stay outside. If you hear trouble, run and never return. There may have been no statues of Sila Corson in the palace in Tav, but the figure in the bar-relief carved outside the hospital was unmistakable. As Yara Corson's wife, Sila was the mother of the tribe, but before that she'd been Devor Corson's wife and the mother of a traitor. Hiltz had never seen Sila in any depictions, but looking at the smooth skin, the coiffed hair, and the perfect figure in the marble, he knew he'd seen her twin, and recently. Iliana Mirko, he called, stepping through the doorway. It's caretaker Hiltz. I know you're here. I think we should talk. Chapter 2 Iliana? Iliana? Hiltz gaped as he saw the figure in the shadows. The last two weeks had been hard on everyone on Kesh, but he barely recognized the leader of the Sisters of Sila. Ileana sat huddled in the cold corner of the dark storeroom, gently caressing a skull. She sobbed gently, not registering his presence. Hiltz looked back nervously to the outer room and its rows of marbled surgical tables, and then down to the lightsaber in his hand. He clipped it back to his belt. Ileana Mirko was a dangerous faction leader, but the figure before him was something else. Her once bright hair was dirty and tangled, her once flawless skin was smudged with ash and blood, and amazingly, was something he'd never thought he'd see on her face, tears. She died here, Ileana said, bringing the skull to her forehead. Alone. Hiltz looked down. Here in the cool darkness, some portion of a skeleton had survived, clumped in a corner. Realizing who Ileana thought the skull belonged to, he spoke cautiously. How do you know it's Sila? I know. Ileana whispered. Opening her gloved hand, she revealed a ring bearing the Corson family seal. A Tapani commitment band. They just left her here, Hilt said, kneeling to look at the remains. The femurs appeared whole, but only tiny shards remained of the bones beneath. Time hadn't done this, he thought and as he noticed the cane nearby, history fell into place. He'd known that Sila's betrayal had been exposed, and that Nita Corson had punished her mother. But the records never said whether it was exile or death. Now the blocks down below made sense. The barrier would keep a crippled Sila here as much as it kept others out. Exile, he said quietly. She was betrayed. She deserved better than this. And she'd still be dead whatever memorial she had. Watching the woman gently return the skull to the floor, Hiltz rose and stepped back. You're alone here. What happened to... The sisters of Sela. We fought hard when the factions fell upon one another. But then we fell apart, just like everyone else. We had nothing to follow. Sela was born a slave. We had nothing to follow. Sela was born a slave. I guess so. I know it, as a girl, I once had a false vision of Sila. She asked me to avenge her. Hiltz thought about the bar-relief outside. So that's how you knew how she wore her hair. But what I never told anyone is what she was doing in the vision. There was this monster, this red monster, looking just like that Ravelin in the message. 
and she was washing its feet. She lashed out with the force, shattering the precious bones against the wall. It's stinking, disgusting feet. Hiltz nodded. Yes, he'd want to be avenged for something like that. Ileana pushed past him and stomped into the wardroom. Apparently some of the other sisters had had similar visions. She rubbed her eye clean of a lingering tear, and then flicked it away, as if it were only grit. We couldn't stand together long after that. Among the marble beers, Ileana paused. In a flash, her hand went to her lightsaber. There's someone out there, they're here. Hiltz hurried into the room, past her. It's okay. He's with me. He called out for his assistant. Jay timidly appeared from outside. Ileana lowered her lightsaber and rolled her eyes. The figure. The world's coming to an end and you're still keeping pets. I've got to have something to take care of, Hiltz said. It's my job, after all. He interposed himself between the woman and Jay. But what did you mean they're here? They're looking for me. Ileana said. Who? Everyone. Corsin Bentadu. What's left of Force 57? Those crazy golden destiny people. Everyone who's left. All the final grudges are being settled before we all die. They followed you? They will. I took pieces out of enough of them before I left. I was flying west the last time their trackers saw me. There's nothing farther west than this. Hiltz twirled Jay around and shoved him back toward the door. We don't have much time, he said. Follow me, I'll explain as we go. The tall woman glared defiantly at him. I'm not your little Clark. Why should I follow you anywhere? The caretaker stared up at her. Because we may need help to find what we're looking for, and you're at a dead end. You said so yourself? He gestured toward the exit. Meanwhile, I actually have a plan. Ileana breathed deeply and stepped toward the exit. I'm sure it's a foolish plan. My, you're a hateful thing, Hilt said. Do you come by this naturally? She looked down at him and gave a rumpled smile. Forged myself in Sela's spirit. The woman whose skull you just kissed and then smashed against a wall, he wanted to say. Hilt smirked. Ileana had chosen Sela to idolize but anyone nasty would have done. He'd never trust her, Sith never trusted anyone, anyway, but he was beginning to understand her. Make for the portal up ahead, he said. At the least, you'll see something no one alive has seen. Hiltz watched as Ileana traced the contours of the dark metal with her fingertips. So something did exist that could impress her. It's wonderful, she said. Omens sprawled beneath the arched ceilings of the temple gently lit by the glow rods Jay was igniting. It had long been said that Omen resembled a Landrock, an ancient Sith wrist weapon. But no one on Kesh had ever seen a Landrock, nor had anyone seen Omen for centuries. The founders had done their best to preserve it, using only polished stonework around it and limiting the number of entrance passageways, yet the battered vessel still wore a layer of dust. And battered it was. Even ripped open in places. What did it take to soar in the stars? Hiltz wondered. What kind of protection? Quite a bit, judging from the twisted tongues of metal half peeled from the hull. And so much metal. 
more in one place than anyone alive had ever seen, despite the fact that much of the precious material currently in circulation had been scavenged from fragments of omen left on the mountainside after its crash. What a calamity that must have been, Hiltz thought, observing its size. It was a wonder both ship and mountain had survived. Ileana claimed the first steps inside for herself, as he had known she would. That was fine with Hiltz. He was content to follow along with one of the glow rods Jay had brought. Seeing the Kashiri quaking timidly on the marble floor outside the hatch, Hiltz waved him in. It's a sacrilege to be here, Jay stammered. I'm a Kashiri, not worthy. Forget about that. We need more light. Hiltz found Ileana in a forward section of the vessel. There, as every place else aboard, Omen had seen a catastrophe. The ceiling overhead was bowed and buckled. Forward windows were shattered, their panes twisted outward. Had something knocked them out from within? Hiltz had no idea. Nor had he any notion of what he was looking at on either side. Smooth, ebon panels alternated with ruptured ones, exposing the crisped, wiry guts of the ship. Hilt studied one, and then another, recognizing the Sith characters but not all of the terms. Telemetry. Hyperspace. Astrogation. They read as magic words to him. Scholars with the tribe had attempted to keep the knowledge of space travel alive. But that had faltered like everything else in recent centuries. Ileana tapped repeatedly at the black panels, as if pressing harder would bring the ship to life. Yes, she'd be looking for a way off-world, Hiltz thought. Like everyone else. The woman slammed her fist on a panel, cracking it. Nothing works here. No, Hiltz said. One thing works. At the rear of the bridge, Jane knelt, spellbound, before a gently glowing display. Sith numbers appeared on its face, one melting into the next as seconds passed. It was the device their beloved sandpipes had been designed to emulate, Omen's Chrono. It's still working. Ileana said, stupefied. Hilt shrugged. Everything aboard the vessel required some kind of energy. Maybe the timekeeping device didn't use much. He stepped closer and touched the hypnotized Kashiri's shoulder. Today the day you thought it was, Jay? Jay's mouth opened, but no sound emerged. Finally, his voice dry, he responded. Yes. The sandpipes were off by eight days. Just like my theory. Hearing the words trail off, Hiltz looked fondly at his clerk. Very good, Jay. I'm impressed. He and Jay had spent their entire lives studying big questions, knowing they'd never learn whether their solutions were correct. Here Jay had seen his calculations vindicated, once and for all. It struck Hiltz as strange. It was wrong to think that Sith and Kashiri could aspire to the same goals, and yet he and Jay had. And now Jay had his answer. Hiltz felt a sudden pang of jealousy and averted his eyes to the center of the room. What he was looking for wasn't here. Was this where the command chair went? Ileana pointed to a bare platform. The thing you came here to find. I always knew it wouldn't be inside Omen. Hilt said, stepping toward the dais. I figured you just had to have a look around. It was well known from the Kashiri paintings that Corson had removed his captain's seat to the colonnade on days when he received visitors. It certainly wasn't out there now, nor here. Ileana looked anguished. I don't understand. 
With such a ship, why did Corson move everyone off the mountain, to Tav? She loomed over hills as he squatted beside the empty spot. Maybe their generation couldn't have repaired it, but to stop work entirely and leave. I was right. Corson was a fool. He wanted the tribe to commit to their lives on Kesh, Hilt said. He knew better than anyone what shape the ship was in. They weren't going anywhere. You saw the room outside us. There's no way Omen can leave unless they dismantle the place. They built the shelter around it. He stepped to the gaping hole forward and looked out at the stone walls beyond. This isn't a stable for an Yuvak, Ileana. It's a tomb. Remembering the face from the testament, Hiltz imagined Corson's voice describing his strategy. Corson would have ordered the enclosure to protect it from the elements, and the other castaways would have agreed. But once the different ones, Ravelin's grotesque people, were out of the way, Corson would have increasingly turned the survivors' attention toward ruling Kesh. That was the best they could hope for. Sealing the temple and leaving the mountain ended the temptation. Until now. Movement caught his eye, and he gasped. Someone's outside. Hilt ducked beneath the shattered viewport. Lights outside cast long shadows against the curved walls. Ileana violently shoved Jay to the deck and dashed forward to join Hilt's. The two carefully peered out as figures entered the temple bearing glow rods. The caretaker counted eight newcomers that he could see, but he could hear the voices of others. Some he recognized instantly. There was bald and burly Corson Bentadu, recognizable as the leader of the Corsonites but badly damaged from the past week's violence, having lost his left hand somewhere. Three other figures wore the once shiny tunics of the Golden Destiny the faction obsessed with the tribe's off-world origins. Their flashy uniforms had lost their luster. And one looked familiar. I know that man, Hiltz whispered to Ileana, pointing to a young blonde warrior. Adele Vray had been one of the few regular visitors to the museum, fascinated by Corsonera architecture as well as Tales of Omen, a topic he could go on and on about. Hiltz expected Adele to be delighted to see the spacecraft of his dreams at last and yet the figure outside wore a sour expression. It sickens me, he heard Adele say. This, this thing, is nothing but a carrier for chattel. Hiltz nearly stood at Adele's words, but Ileana pushed him back down. Together they listened as Adele and his companions, some from different factions, spoke with disdain of the damaged starship. A carrier for vermin, you mean, another said. It began our race's imprisonment here. Bentadu added. It is an omen, but for despair. You're right, Adele said, his words echoing throughout the chamber. We have to destroy it. Hiltz and Ileana looked at each other, stunned. Outside there were rousing calls of agreement, from people who never agreed about anything. It is right. A last defiant stab. Our people will end, but they will end with a fist clenched in hatred against fate. I know just how to do it, too, Adele replied. One last act of cooperation. We will succeed. Hiltz felt sick as he heard boots on the floor outside, tromping toward the exit. He'd expected the newcomers to try to board Omen, as they had. But this was something else. Had the rush toward self-destruction claimed everyone's senses? Yes, he thought. Yes, it has. They can't destroy anything this size. Ileana said, 
her voice raspy as she looked around the bridge. There are no explosives left. What are they going to do, stab it with lightsabers? Hiltz didn't know, but he knew not to doubt Adele. He'll find a way, he said, rising. He grabbed her arm. Quickly! We have to find what Corson left behind, before it's too late. Chapter 3 Adele had been thinking about this plan for a while, Hiltz realized as he peeked through the narrow window of the dome. Situated atop the roof of the temple, the fancy cupola offered a clear view of the main quadrangle, and from here, Hiltz had observed all the activity in wonder. With the sun setting over the vast western ocean, the Sith warrior's workday was just beginning. At least thirty were here, some in the garb of their different factions. Others had abandoned their partisan dress altogether. Many had arrived while Hiltz and his two companions awaited their opportunity to leave Omen without notice, and all were now engaged in a massive engineering project. Or rather, a demolition project. Warriors clung to the sides of the giant watchtower, looping long leather cables around the supports. The tower was a marvel, and probably top-heavy with observation decks high aloft. It wouldn't take enormous effort to bring it down. Hiltz saw exactly where it was intended to land. Adele stood on the plaza, directing warriors on how to position their Yavak teams. With the beasts on the ground and in the air pulling the cords in unison, Adele clearly expected the heaviest deck of the stone tower to land right on top of the chamber that held Omen. That room was well constructed, Ileana said, looking over his shoulder. Could this harm it? It'll crack like an Yavak egg under a hammer. Hiltz muttered. He knew Adele, intense, but studious. Adele understood how the classical structures had been built, and he'd seen omens lair up close. They may not blow the ship up, but they'll definitely bury it. Ileana sneered. It was already dead and buried. Hiltz could only shake his head and stare. There were so many out there, all working at their common, destructive cause. He even recognized Nera deformed leader of Force 57, throwing her enormous muscle back into the work alongside the other warriors. Aren't some of those your sisters of Sila with her? Hilt squinted into the creeping darkness. Don't you lead them? Won't they listen to you? Haven't you seen what's been going on lately? No one follows anyone now. But they all work together in this. People need a mission. Hilt blinked. The unity he'd hoped for in the cause of crushing all hope. He studied Ileana. You could live by joining them. Not likely. Who do you think took Bentardo's hand? From behind in the anteroom, a loud click. I've worked the latch, caretaker. Jay said, rising. The massive inner door to the rotunda groaned open for the first time in centuries. Small fingers, Hilt said. Helps to have someone following you. Jay waited for his master and Ileana to enter before following, fresh glow rod in hand. Where Omen's home below had a humongous occupant, nothing stood in this smaller rotunda but a single chair beside a brazier. Hilt stepped eagerly toward it. Yes, it was what he thought it was. The command chair. The Grand Lord's throne. Close enough to touch the seat, Hiltz paused and looked around. It was a strange place for it, alone here in this room atop the temple. He squinted into the void above. Jay's single glow rod wasn't enough to light the place. Do you see something up there? 
I think I know. Ileana said. Grabbing Jay, she violently ripped the tunic from the startled clerk's back. Without a word, she balled the cloth up and tossed it into the brazier. With the help of the flint tool chained to the side, she soon had a small fire going. Smoke wafted up to slits near the ceiling apex. Made chilly, Jay fretted. Someone outside might see the smoke. I don't care. I've got nothing left but to fight it out. Hiltz looked at his aide. Hiltz looked at his aide and shrugged. It did get surprisingly cold up here, cold enough to discomfort even a traveler from the stars. Just stay close to the fire, he said before glancing upward. For a moment he thought he saw the stars outside. Then with another look, he realized that he had, in a way, a planetarium. Embedded in the rounded ceiling were crimson stones, glowing warmly as the fire below flickered. One by one, he picked out the stars of Kesha's summer sky and saw many smaller ones he wasn't familiar with. Are those lignum crystals up there? Ileana asked. Hiltz laughed. Why not? Omen's crew would have had plenty of them. He turned his attention back to the chair, the missing piece from the starship's bridge. It wasn't hard to imagine Yara Corson here, sitting at night, contemplating his people's return to the stars. He thought again about Corson's line from the Testament. What was behind the throne? Nothing here that he could see, just empty wall. Was it something in the star map? No, that was above. Indifferent to the display overhead, and to any sense of history, Ileana flopped onto the chair, throwing her booted legs over the armrest. Hilt scoffed at her. You're going to sit there? I'm not going to. I am. Casually, she unclipped her lightsaber and tossed it from hand to hand. Those people outside will either bring the temple down underneath us, or they'll find us here. If I'm going to wait, I'm going to sit. Whatever. You know, this room is pretty useless, it only shows the sky at one time of the year. Hiltz nodded. It was more decorative than useful. But his thoughts were still on the chair, and Corson's testament. Do you have a knife? Of course. Ileana said, using the force to whip a glass blade from a compartment in her boot. The weapon paused in midair, hovering near Hiltz's face. Thanks a lot, he said, taking it and kneeling behind the chair. Behind the throne. Tentatively, almost fearfully, Hiltz slid the tip of the shikar into the tough skin of the back of the seat. The Sith didn't outfit their ships for comfort, he saw, but even the rough hide of the command chair was no match for the Kashiri blade. Careful to cut no more than he had to, Hiltz withdrew the knife and slipped his hand inside the furnishing. Continuing to sit, Ileana watched the old man fish around aimlessly, his arm up to his elbow inside the chair. You look like a fool, she said. He felt like one, too and was about to stop when his hand reached the level of the armrests. There's something in here, he said, sewn inside. He drew his hand out quickly, ripping the upholstery more as he did. The glass vial contained a single rolled-up sheet of transparent film, flimsier than the thinnest parchment the Kashiri had ever crafted. As he brought it closer to the failing fire, figures began to take shape. What's that writing in? Ileana asked suddenly interested. It's the old cant of the Tapani, the language of the humans under Sith rule, Hilt said. The language of Corson's mother. How do you know? 
Because I studied it, and she wrote it. He nudged Ileana's legs off the armrest and brought the film as close to the fire as he dared. Takara Corson. Corson's father left her for Jariad's mother. His eyes scanned the page. He'd spent the previous year studying a text on the language. Slowly, surely, he worked it out. It's marked personal, he said. Brought by a trusted courier to Corson. Swallowing, he recited. I know you tire of hearing of my visions, my son. If you do as you always have, I expect you won't read this until your mission is well underway. I'm pleased that you've been given command of an important assignment for Naga Sado, even as it grieves me, as it does all our kind, to know that your victory is for his glory alone. Yes, I've had another of the visions. I saw our descendants ruling a great people one day, free from the Red Sith. We will have something that will be our own. When they are guided well, I see new horizons opening up for our people, new places to conquer. Yaru, only you are wise enough to guide our people. Devor will be his own ruin. I sense strength in his chosen mate, Sila, but that is not enough. You alone know how to manage the ambitions of many, how to shape your anger, and sculpt it to fit the purpose ahead. You do have a purpose. Take care. If you guide our people well, they will always have a mission. Hiltz drew the letter back from the fire and stared. He didn't even notice Jay's cautious, reverential approach behind him. Look at the time imprint, the shivering Kashiri said, pointing over Hiltz's shoulder to figures along the edge. He received this right before Omen left for Fagon. Hiltz nodded as he considered the words. No, Corson wouldn't have wanted anyone to read the message while he was still working for Naga Sado, hence the hiding place. But for a quarter of a century, Corson had kept the message always near to him. I always wondered how he found the strength to go on. He said, Cheerleading claptrap from a doting mother, even Corson couldn't have believed this nonsense. Hush, girl. He glared at her. She was wise. She saw what we would build. And this proves that our people weren't destined to live as slaves forever. We have a future. Hiltz stood suddenly and started toward the exit. Those people out there. If I could read it to them. They won't listen. It's too far gone. I know I wouldn't listen. Hiltz stopped before reaching the doorway. He looked at the letter again and frowned. Ileana was right. The sentiments were a bomb to the spirits but the people needed a specific cause. Like knocking down a tower and destroying a spaceship. What cause would you rally to? He asked, rolling the letter up and putting it back into its tube. Ileana answered without a second thought. Myself. Hmm. He could hear more shouts outside, past the anteroom. The wrecking crew would be farther along now. Hiltz and his companions couldn't stay. Not here, not far atop Omen's resting place. Wait, Hiltz said, looking to the floor. Jay shivered beside the cooling brazier. What is it, caretaker? This message, this isn't what Corson meant. He looked to the chair where Ileana still sat. Remember the quote. The true power is behind the throne. Not in the throne. Not behind the one who sits in it. You want to argue semantics now? No, no. You're looking for precision in the words of a dying fool. A fool smart enough to conquer a whole native people, and to train a daughter for war under everyone's noses. No, 
Hilt said, rolling the tube with the missive over in his hand. This message was important to Corson, but it isn't what he meant. He looked back up to the ceiling, where the false stars had faded with the fire. None of this is right. Ileana shifted in the seat. What do you mean? This place. I can't believe Corson spent all his time here, he said. You're correct. This map above, it's not practical. It's decorative. Corson's focus was on building an empire on Kesh. He wasn't sitting around looking at the stars. Hilt stalked around the room. And Corson, you saw how he looked in the recording. I remember. Ileana said, interest growing as the caretaker grew more animated. He was bleeding to death. The legend says that Corson was mortally wounded outside, on the western slope, and made his way back to his chair to record the testament. Back here, Jay said. No. Hiltz thought back on the shimmering message he'd seen days earlier. No, there hadn't been any background in the image. They had been able to see the chair, but no more. We assumed that he recorded it here, when we found the chair. But look how high we are. Yara couldn't have made it up all those stairs with a gaping chest wound. I'm healthy, and I nearly didn't. Ileana stood and looked back at the seat. I don't get it. They moved his chair here after he died. Why? And where would he have gone instead? Hilt stood for several moments before his aide, now huddled on the floor near the brazier for warmth, piped up. Perhaps there's something in the chamber beneath Elmen. Beneath? Hiltz blinked in the near darkness of the rotunda. There isn't any chamber beneath Omen. They built the temple over the ship where it came to rest. But the ship landed on a slope, Jay said, and what we saw was completely level. They shored it up with stonework. He fidgeted, counting on purple fingertips before looking up. We entered the temple through an open passage at the twenty-third step on the staircase from the middle terrace. But we passed a sealed door at the seventh step. The little Kashiri crossed his arms with satisfaction. Another chamber, at the base of Omen's support structure. Ileana rolled her eyes. He counted the steps. He counted the steps, Hilt said smirking. His momentarily improved mood was cut short by a mild shudder, reverberating through the floor. The impromptu allies outside were getting closer to their goal. What are you waiting for? Let's go! Chapter 4 It hadn't seen a visitor in nearly 2,000 years, and it didn't look like it had seen much traffic when people had lived here, either. Unlike Omen's resting place above them and the celestial dome atop it all, this lower level wasn't a shrine, and it wasn't for show. The narrow hallway through the darkness lacked holders for glow rods, and compared with the ornate doors elsewhere, the entrance to the octagonal room was positively modest. Hiltz and his companions had entered the catacombs after slipping past confusion on the plaza. Cables had snapped, temporarily thwarting Adele's plan to collapse the tower onto Omen, but Hiltz knew they'd figure it out sooner or later. He had to figure out what Corson had meant sooner, which was difficult in the dark. Find some more glow rods, he ordered. Jay nodded and scampered out. Between the few they'd brought and the light from his and Ileana's lightsabers, they'd been able to recognize the room's main feature. A massive stone-carved map of Keshta, their continent, 
dominated one of the walls. Small lignin crystals had been worked into the design to indicate settlements. It was the planetary equivalent of the sky map upstairs. One wall had the doorway. The other six held only large, blank slabs of slate the same size as the Keshta map. I don't like being here. Ileana said, gripping her lightsaber tightly. This is a dead end. Dead is right, Hilt said, looking up. Yara Corson died here. I can feel it. Ileana's eyes narrowed for a moment. I feel it, too. It feels good. Hiltz ignored her, kneeling at the center of the room and bringing his lightsaber close to the floor. Ruts, he said, feeling the stone surface. Four of them. This is where Yara Corson's chair was kept at night. He looked to the wall map. And that's what it faced. Why wouldn't they leave Corson's chair here after he died? Maybe Nita wanted anyone who entered in the future to think that Yara spent all his time contemplating the cosmos and their return. Ileana sneered. Then maybe she should have punched some windows in the room where they kept the ship. Hilt stood and walked to the map. Yes, it made sense. This wasn't a fancy place. It was a place for work, where Corson plotted the tribe's management of their new world. He might have brought only his trusted Kashiri aides here, to work on the map. Looking back, he squinted through the darkness at the other walls. Humongous black slates, pegged to the walls by metal spikes that must have come from Omen. Hiltz could imagine Corson working here, chalking out his plans for the tribe. If the captain's chair always faced the map, and he couldn't imagine otherwise, then nothing was. Behind the throne. At all. Just blank stone panels. He deactivated his lightsaber and stared into the darkness. What did Corson mean? A thought occurring to him, Hiltz took a step away from the map, only to see a flailing figure hurtle into the room, launched from the hallway by a massive force push. Shay! Hiltz yelled as the Kashiri landed meters short of the far wall. The old man scrambled to his aide's side and turned him over, only to see the wounds seared into the clerk's bare chest. The work of a lightsaber. Or several. I'm sorry, caretaker, Jay said, coughing as life escaped. I tried to find some more glow rods. Stunned, Hiltz looked to the side, where Ileana had already vaulted into a defensive posture. One after another, the figures they'd seen outside Omen charged into the room, lightsabers in hand. Well, well, Corson Bentidu said, voice dripping with gruesome delight. So this is where the chief sister scurried off to. He raised his truncated left arm. I've been looking for you. You're not the only one. Barked Nira, alongside Adele and several of his Golden Destiny companions, blocking any escape. Pretty little menace. It's time to be done with you. Let's put her in the tower and watch her plummet, Bentidu said. No, said another, gesturing to a disfigurement that Ileana had evidently delivered. Let's chain her to the spot where the hammer will fall. Forget that. Ileana yelled, poised to move. We finish this now. Stop! The caretaker's shout echoed around the room, attracting the newcomer's attention to him for the first time. Cradling his dead assistant in his arms, he yelled again. Which one of you did this? What difference does it make? Bentado's teeth glistened in the light given off by the glowing weaponry. He was a Kashiri. His presence profanes this place. 
What? Releasing Jay, Hiltz bolted to his feet, feeling anger he hadn't known since his youth. The Kashiri helped to build this place. And Profane? You're the ones trying to destroy the temple, an omen in it. All life is profane. Nera said. She'd added some fresh scars since the last time he saw her. You saw our alien masters. You know just how disgusting life can be. Hiltz took a step toward the party, only to see Adele step to the front. I know how you feel about this place, caretaker. But the joke's on us, all of us. Everything we were ever told about the tribe is a lie. It's over. There's no sense in clinging to places like this. It's just one more score to settle. We wipe it out, and then one another. This isn't the end, Hiltz yelled. This isn't the end. No, Adele said, a chill in his voice. The end already happened. We just didn't know it. The warriors surged forward toward the center of the room, bowling Hiltz over as they sought to engage Ileana, the more dangerous of their prey. Tumbling backward, Hiltz saw again the blank slabs on the walls, suspended on their metal spikes. For some bizarre reason, at this moment he found himself thinking the thought he'd had just before Jay had been hurled into the room. Why waste precious metal on hanging chalkboards? Suddenly he knew. With a tremendous effort, Hiltz yanked at the metal rods through the force, ripping them from the walls. On six sides of the room, the massive stone panels came loose, falling forward and slamming to the floor. Hiltz yanked at Ileana, pulling her clear of one of the falling monoliths. Tum! Tum! Doom! Seeing the other warriors reeling from the surprise and impact, Hiltz reached his feet first and grabbed a glow rod. Turning it toward the walls facing the map wall, he saw what he expected to see, the rest of the world. Adelv Ray looked at the wall nearest him. What, what is this? It's a map of Kesh, Hiltz said, bringing his light close to the display on the far wall. The revealed panels adjacent to the map of Keshto were blank, but the four panels on the other side of the room depicted a massive continent, dwarfing the place they knew. It's a map of Kesh's far side. It's the rest of the world, Ileana gawked. But there's nothing beyond the oceans. They explored everything after Omen arrived. They only knew what they could see on Yuvak back and in places where Yuvak could reach, Hilt said, excitedly running his fingertips across the map. There were crystals denoting cities here, too, far more than on the familiar map across the room, and Tapani characters etched nearby. This was what was behind the throne, he said, turning to face the others. This is what Corson meant. As the caretaker turned back, the warriors spread across the room, using their lightsabers now for illumination rather than defense. What's this writing here? Adele asked, frustrated. There's a lot of it in this spot. Just a moment, Hilt said, stepping over to the section. It had been etched with a diamond stylus, an artifact he'd remembered puzzling over as curator in the Tav Palace, years earlier. This is Corson's own handwriting. The room fell silent as he studied. There were some new words here, which he made out to refer to the Kesh and Kashiri. Terms that wouldn't have been known in the Tapani dialect. Corson was evidently a wordsmith, along with everything else. Haltingly, he recited, as best he could. Nita, you will know this language from the studies I've assigned you, but you won't know this map.
No one does. It's based on the last data recorded by the cams of Omen during our descent across the dark side of Kesh. When I discovered a cam with a working display, I hid the device, transferring over the years what it saw to the map panels here until its power finally gave out. Our people and the Kashiri have thought this continent was all there was, alone in a gigantic sea. Taking control of the continent of Keshta gave our people a purpose. But we've just been on Keshta Minor. This map displays Keshta Major, a landmass dwarfing ours, far beyond the range of any Yavak to fly. And with far more people. And yes, there are people. There must be. The crystals represent lights. Lights, seen on the dark side of the planet. There are cities there, another whole civilization. Kashiri, likely, but perhaps more advanced, and possibly not in fear of the Skyborn. They could add to our power, or could be our enemies. For years, I've secretly annotated the map based on what I could make out before the images died. It's truly another world. I've done all I can now, and my trusted Kashiri are sealing the map panels in advance of our move to Tav. But you or your descendants, may one day need a cause that will unite our people. The knowledge I leave here is true power. Envy has driven the Sith to great accomplishments. Now there is again something to covet, something that may be within reach of the properly led. The room remained silent after he stopped reading. Hiltz looked at the words again, and the great new map, surrounding the text, and exhaled. Awkwardly, he felt a bulge in his vest pocket and produced the glass tube. Um, I have a letter from his mother, too. Standing peaceably alongside Ileana before the new maps, Bentadu looked back at Hiltz. He's got more of the same writing everywhere. Are there guides to this language? There were, Hiltz said, until you people destroyed my archives. He shuffled his feet. I'm the only one who knows it now. Hearing his own words, he straightened. I'm the only one who knows it now. This is unimaginable. Why didn't Corson tell anyone? He already had a continent to conquer, Hilt said. And his feud with Sila and Jariad was too personal. They wouldn't have been moved by this. He looked at the gathered rivals. But it'll move our people now. If you need Sith to act in unison, give them an enemy. Taking advantage of the peace, Hilt's unrolled the missive from Takara Corson. He read of the destiny of the Tapani humans who had wandered into Sith territory and had been enslaved, and he read of their future, ruling someplace on their own. And then another place. And another. If you guide our people well, they will always have a mission. Adele looked dazzled. How will we get there? Everyone in the room knew the problem. The Kashiri weren't a naval culture. The local woods were either too dense to float, or too flimsy to bear any weight. It'll be the biggest thing our society's ever undertaken, Hilt said. We'll never be able to do it if we act like we have been. We'll need everybody. He nodded to the deformed Nera. Everybody. It will require order and discipline. He paused, as in the days of old. Abruptly Adele snapped off his lightsaber. We will craft the society again as in the old ways. He stepped toward Hiltz and knelt. You are the caretaker. You alone know the old tongue, and you know the old ways better than anyone. You will guide our people well. Hiltz looked in astonishment at the young man kneeling before him. 
Adele's fellow Golden Destiny members bowed, as well. To the side, Corson Bentadu paused, and finally nodded, dipping his bald head as he fell to his knees. You have redeemed our faith in Corson. Even Nirinelt. Where no path existed, you found one wide enough for all. Alone, you have my trust. Soon only Ileana remained standing, gawking in shock at the sight of her collected assailants. All genuflecting before the dumbfounded museum curator. All hail Varna Hiltz, the new Grand Lord. Epilogue Hiltz had given the previous age its name. Now, with the time of the rot ending, he had also named the era to come. The Hiltz Restoration. He liked the sound of it. The largest surviving faction after the two-week chaos had been the Golden Destiny, and it turned out to be fortuitous. Like their rivals, they wanted to seize power on Kesh, but they'd always had their eyes set in the right direction, outward. Hiltz couldn't offer them the return to the stars they wanted, but he'd found a new world for them to conquer. Accompanied by Bentadu, Nira, and the others, they'd fanned out quickly onto the mainland, announcing the great tidings. The tribe's governing system would be restored and set toward a goal. Hiltz didn't worry about how they'd reach the new continent. As his chief engineer, Adele promised to attack the problem with vigor, studying ways to span distances greater than any Yavak or watercraft ever had. It might take years, decades, or even centuries, but the tribe would succeed. The new Grand Lord did wonder about what they'd find. Had Corson told Uttery Val about the new continent? Whether he had or not, if she had somehow reached there with her flight of stolen Yuvak, the residents would know the Sith existed. Corson's note was likely correct. The conquest of the new continent wouldn't be as easy as the takeover of the old one. The prospect of the challenge made him feel young again. There was one last thing. It had come to Hiltz almost as an afterthought. As soon as Adele and the others had announced his elevation, Hiltz had seen the fire flash in Ileana's eyes. She'd been the one vying for power, after all, not the caretaker. He wasn't supposed to be the one lifted on high. But after the initial shock, and realizing that Bentadu and his companions still felt vengeful toward Ileana for her past actions, he'd thought of the absolute right thing to say to her, before all of them. If I am to be Grand Lord, I will need a wife. The surprise hadn't been all hers, at first. Hiltz could hardly believe he'd said it. He never knew exactly what she thought of it, either, until now, here on the sun-dappled colonnade outside the mountaintop temple. Tall and regal, Ileana stood across from him, shimmering in a golden gown, product of the labors of the finest Kashiri artisans. Nuptial rituals were always just one more excuse for a celebration. As far as tribe members were concerned, fidelity meant little to a Sith believer. But property meant a whole lot, and Ileana had just attained quite a bit. Several of her former sisters of Sila were here in their own regalia, he saw. Evidently, this turn of events had patched up every rift on the continent. Twirling Sila's ancient commitment band on her finger, Ileana smiled weakly for the others, and then glared privately at Hiltz. We both know this is ridiculous. If you think I'm going to be all thankful to you for saving me. I would never think that, Hiltz said. That seemed to satisfy the woman for a moment. But as tribe members passed them on the receiving line, 
Ileana had a sudden thought. Wait. If you're restoring the old ways isn't the consort of the Grand Lord put to death on his passing. That's right. It's in Corsin's testament. Oh, is that in there? Hiltz looked up at her, mildly. I'd forgotten. Ileana smoldered. Hiltz looked at his young bride and grinned. There would be wise leadership so long as he lived, and he could live another forty years, because there would be someone to make sure he did. Powerful, youthful, and devious, fighting all his battles. Surely some had assented to his elevation because he was an easy target, but she wasn't. And the only way to protect her own life was to protect his. Hiltz looked up to the statue, looming over them both. There he was, Jaura Corson, wise beyond all, even in matters of marriage. Behind the statue stood row after row of cleanly dressed tribe members, at attention and waiting their turn to meet the new leader and his bride. Every surviving Sith on Keshta Minor must be here today, Hiltz thought. Some were worse for wear for the past month's riots. But they were here, celebrating both his marriage and the last day of the festival of Nita's rise. This would be one fate month no one would ever forget. Along the sides of the colonnade stood hundreds of Kashiri, cheering and applauding. Waving to them, Hiltz received a collective squeal of approval and response. The Kashiri couldn't yet become part of the tribe themselves, but Hiltz would change that. Many of them had useful talents, and the tribe might well need the help of all in the challenge ahead. For a moment, he imagined what poor little Jay would have looked like in the uniform of a Tyro or Saber. Hiltz smiled at the thought. It would take a while, but he would do it. Reading history had been his life. Now he would write his own. The tribe would go on.